Today is Palm Sunday, and um, if you didn't grow up in church, you had no idea what that is, but it's the, it's the moment in time during the, the Feast of Weeks in the Jewish tradition where Jesus came to Jerusalem and um, was at this point finally ready to declare who he was to the multitudes. And, um, and it's celebrated as, quote, a triumphal or triumphant entry. Um, but I think it's pretty rich this morning uh, of what we're going to see in here. And the reality is this is, this is our story. Not only is this the, the, the moment where Jesus knows that he's heading to the cross, but this is the story of us. And, and I think there's times where, you know, maybe you can, you can relate. Um, I've had a couple of incidents in, in my life like this. Uh, I haven't always been in the ministry. I haven't always been a pastor. And I remember one, uh, uh, one time on a phone call, I had a phone call from somebody Maybe you've had this happen before where you've uh, answered the phone or you've been on a text and you weren't quite sure who it was. Ever been there? Somebody calls and they say, hey, it's, and they start talking and you're trying to place them, your brain's going into overdrive and, and you kind of feel embarrassed that you don't know who it is because you think you should know who it is because they seem to know who you are. And, and after a certain amount of time where it's, now it's gotten really uncomfortable, you have to say, who is this? <laughs> Who is this? And I remember uh, my wife and I were working uh, at a hospital in Yakima, and uh, I, I wore scrubs at that time, and uh, we were checking out in the line in Safeway. And the lady in front of me, man, she looks familiar, but I'm, so I'm thinking, okay, we're doing youth ministry. Do we go to church with her? Does she have a kid in youth ministry? Was she a patient? Who, you know, who is this lady? It was happening quite a bit as we just saw more and more people, and, and we're right behind her, and my brain's just running, 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 and, and she turns to me, and she goes, I think I know you. And I said, uh, yeah, you look familiar to me too. And, um, and so we had a, a, a brief moment there, and uh, my, my poor wife, because she's, she's a lot less outgoing than me, and she's everything I'm not. She's kind and sweet and simple and lovely. And, and this lady says to me, I know what it is. You look different with clothes on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for saying that in the line at Safeway, you know. <laughs> you look different with clothes on. And just to clear it up, she had never seen me naked. Uh, she was used to seeing me in, in scrubs, okay? Uh, we, you don't need to go there, you bunch of gutter brains. So, um, but can I tell you, the same thing happens in this story that we're going to read this morning, is that we may think we know who somebody is, but sometimes we need to ask an important question. Who is this? Who is this? What's going on? Who is this? So, Join me this morning in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read uh, just 11 verses. We're going to focus on, on Jesus this morning, but there's a reason why the story is in here. So Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near, and they as Jesus and the disciples, they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, 
And he said to them, go into the village opposite you. There's one right across the way. And I want you to find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, that sounds like, oh, that's cool. But let's remember that this is the Middle East, that when you go and take something that doesn't belong to you, there's a certain penalty. You, if the guy is gentle, you may lose a finger. You want to take something of significance, you may lose a hand. And they would just basically haul you out in the middle of the square, pull out one of those big Saracen swords, and your hand's gone. So these disciples, they're not even thinking that. They're just excited to be used by Jesus. Yeah, let's go. Let's go steal some stuff. <laughs> but notice what his instructions were. If anybody asks, hey, what are you doing? What are they supposed to respond? The Lord has need of them. Okay? Now, here's part of what we've got to understand. This is not a license to steal and say, oh, the Lord has need of them. But the Lord may be sending you and me into places to loose some stuff because the Lord has need of them. And He doesn't need stuff. He wants people. Right? And so when He sends us, we should go immediately and do what He says. And when we do what He says, we'll see results like these results. Now, this means that we have to listen carefully. We have to be in the Spirit. But just understand that part of our job as Christians, as Christ followers, is that He sends us ahead of Him to lose stuff and to bring it to Him. They weren't just supposed to set it free, but their job was, you loose that stuff and bring it to me. That's our job, to find people, set them free, and bring them to Jesus, right? You sound completely underwhelmed this morning. That's all right. Verse number four, all this was done so that it might be fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet, and that prophet is Ezekiel, and so we'll see, right, or Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 says, rejoice, O people of Zion, these are the Hebrew people, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you, he is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey on a donkey's colt. He does all this to fulfill prophecy, but he does it in a manner that most people didn't expect. Everybody had been looking for the Messiah. Everybody was waiting for the Deliverer to come, especially the Hebrew people. They had been told all the way back to Abraham's time that they were going to be set free, that God had a plan for them, that He would send a mighty Deliverer to them. But what they didn't expect was to see Jesus humbly riding on a donkey. They were expecting a warrior on a war horse, someone that would kick out the Romans, someone that would bring freedom, someone that would allow them to dominate. And sometimes we forget that as well. And there's been periods in the church where we've acted like that as well. We want to run what my grand folks and my folks would call walk roughshod on the people around us instead of coming humbly. God did not send us out on a war horse to scare our city or to destroy our city or to dominate our cities. God sent us before Him to loose the city and save the city and point them back to Him. 
And he said that he came humbly. You see, if he'd come in a chariot, if he'd come on some war horse, he wouldn't have to say a word. Everybody would have known what he meant. But it was kind of weird to see him come on a donkey. And that people were doing some things that made the religious people mad. And you can find that in one of the other Gospels. But let's pick it up from verse 7. So they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them, and then they set him on them. Notice what they're doing. Taking off my outer clothes, because we, we value you so much, we don't want you to sit on this dirty donkey. We're taking off us, and we're going to set you. We're going to lift you up and exalt you and set you on the donkey. Not only was it humbleness for Christ, but it was humbleness for the disciples saying, you're worthy. We're, we're pronouncing you as the Messiah. We're saying that you should be lifted up and that you're going to fulfill this scripture. And, and it doesn't matter that it's our clothes. We're laying that down for you. Have you done that for Jesus? Taken off the outer you and laid it down for him? If we're not careful... We ask Jesus to come into our hearts, but we want to be the rider instead of the horse, instead of the donkey. But in every scenario, Jesus must be the master and the one that steers our life. And understand, he comes in humility. He will not force himself. He will not punish that animal. He will not make it do what it doesn't want to do. He will sit humbly, but he will also care for that animal, just like he'll care for you. And if the thought of Jesus riding you seems a little dominant, somebody's been doing it anyway, <laughs> whether you want to admit it or not. It's either been you or the world or the devil. You haven't been in control of your life, no matter what you think. And so today, maybe we need to pause and reflect inside and say, who's really making the twists and turns in my life? Who's really guiding my path? Who's really in charge of where I go and when I stop and when I don't? Whose property am I? I like to watch movies, and I, I like to, you know, we watched almost all the Disney movies with our kids and all that stuff, and one that still had a pretty profound effect on me, even though most people wouldn't find it very spiritual as Toy Story. And in the story, the little boy, one of the, quote, the main character, even though he's barely in the picture, his name is Andy. And Andy loves his toys, but in particular he loves one specific toy, a little stuffed cowboy named Woody. And all the other toys know that Woody is the favorite. But there's one point in the movie where Woody gets worried because another toy has come in to invade his territory. And he looks at his boot and it says Andy written on his boot to remind him whose he is. Can I tell you this morning, it's, you don't have to look at the bottom of your shoe, but 
Jesus Christ has bought you and paid for you if you are a saved child of God. And it may be invisible to our eyes, but it is written in his blood that we are his workmanship, that we are his children. And so no matter who comes to try to make you think otherwise, I'm here to tell you, you are his children. You are his craftsmanship. You are his. And he's written his name on you. And he knows how to take care of what is his. Verse 7 says that not only did they lay their clothes down, but notice what's happening. This huge multitude, they began to spread their clothes on the road. Now, this was symbolic of them. They'd seen this before. Whenever a king, now they wouldn't do this for the Romans, but they used to do this when the, the kings of old would do this. They would understand that this is us saying that you're our king, and we lay ourselves down, and you have authority over us. And they began to lay their clothing down on the road. Now, they're not like us today. They don't have a closet full of clothes. Most of these people didn't have a ton of clothes. So this is important. This is an incredible gesture of us acknowledging that you are the ruler. You are the king, that I've put myself under you. They spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well, not only signifying peace but also victory. And the Romans and the Greeks of that time would have understood that. They would cut these trees down and they'd make what we call like a little crown around it that they would wear as a victor's laurel. They understood the symbolism of that time just like the Jewish people did. And as Melissa said, look at the multitudes who were there, they went before him. Get a hold of this this morning. They go before him, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What they're really saying is, he has come to save us. This is the one we've been looking for. This is the Son of David who's been promised the throne forever. He has come. Salvation has come to us. In the highest. Now, another passage, I believe it's in Luke, says that the religious people of the time said, you need to quiet down your disciples. We don't like this. But that's a whole different story, and you can read that for your, on your own. But I want you to see something here. Look at verse 10. When he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. But notice what they're saying. They're not saying, Hosanna in the highest. What are they saying? Who is this? We hear the noise. We see the stuff. But who is this? That's a powerful moment. Because how you answer that question is going to speak to that person about who Jesus is and who they are. And if we get it wrong, we can put people on the wrong path and we misrepresent Jesus. He's not a reigning king. He is the king of kings. He didn't come to dominate. He came to lay down his life. 
He didn't come to exalt himself. He came humbly, lowly, sitting on a donkey. And so people are wondering, it sounds like you guys are heralding a king. Where's the king? I see the dude on the donkey. Who is this? And maybe the, that situation doesn't play out in our lives, but it sounds something like this. Sure, if there is a Jesus, then why did... And what they're really asking, who is this Jesus? You said he's all-powerful. You said he's gracious. You said he's kind. And yet my baby died. And yet my marriage broke up. And yet this happened. And this happened. And this happened. Who is this? How could you worship this type of God? Who is this? And how we answer that question will give them the right response of what to do next. And we don't need to defend Jesus. And we don't need to explain doctrine we need to answer the question, who he is. Just like on the phone conversation. If you say, uh, I'm not sure I know who this is. Who is this? And they say, guess. It may get uncomfortable when they say, it's your Aunt Susie. How could you not remember? Well, I haven't talked to you in 10 years, so it was kind of weird to... But we need to know who we're talking about. We need to know who we're representing. We need to know who that we're saying Hosanna, Hosanna about. He's not some just historical figure. He's not just some guy. He didn't write the Bible. He is the Bible. He is the Word. And we need to be people that go humbly into the places where He sends us with the thought that our job is to loose them and bring them to Him. That was part of his job as well. I'm going to go and help the brokenhearted, set the captives free, bring sight to the blind. He never said, go and tell the world I hate them and they're going to hell. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. And it should have never been the message of the church. But somehow we got off track and we felt like it was our job to tell people they were going to hell. That's not good news. The good news is he came. <laughs> And we want to point them back to Him. And it's not the job of the disciples to say, yeah, let's get into a Bible study. Their job is to say, I need to introduce you to Him. Because all of this is okay, but you need to know Him. They weren't following Him because He was having a parade. They were following Him because they knew Him. They went and loosed the donkey and the colt because they knew Him. They believed in Him. And we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe in Him? Am I really following Him? If somebody asks me who He is, how am I going to answer that question? And I had shared this a long time ago, but it still is real today because of the world that we live in. We, unfortunately, unfortunately, the Pacific Northwest has pulled back its number one spot as being the most unchurched place in the nation. Three years ago, New England wrestled that out of our grip, but we have proudly taken that back. And I remember as a child, I believe God is, there's a lot of my childhood I don't remember. <laughs> Just some stuff and 
just me being me. But I remember taking a trip with my folks and driving and seeing a big neon sign that said, Jesus saves. And I'm wondering, first of all, who is this Jesus and what does he save? And for some of you that grew up in a certain area, you thought, well, that would have been a revelation right there. You found out that Jesus saves. But I had no idea who Jesus was. So I asked my folks, what does Jesus save? And they had no response. Can I tell you that that's happening over and over and over in our world, in our city, in our communities, in our schools, in our community. That there are people that hear the name Jesus, but they're asking, Jesus saves what? And they're met with no response. That's why this is the story of us. When people ask, they should get an answer. When people ask of us, they shouldn't get a shrug or that we're worried about some theological argument or trying to explain our doctrine. They just need to be pointed to Jesus. They need to hear the story of Jesus in us. They don't need to hear what church or denomination or how long we've been this or that. They need to hear about your story of Jesus in you. What does Jesus save? Jesus saved me. I wish it was at that moment, but it wasn't. (laughs) Now let's fast forward. And again, maybe some personal sharing this morning, but you need to understand not everybody's a Christian from birth. In fact, I believe you can't be a Christian from birth. (laughs) You must make your own decision. I was dating a girl that went to church, and I went to church with her but not for Jesus. But I knew how to make it sound like I did, and I don't know where I learned that other than just kind of bluffing my way through it. But can I tell you, it became very apparent when we sat down with some of her and her friends and her family, and they began to play Bible trivia Can I tell you that my knowledge base was pretty low at that point? (laughs) Now, if I'm some Christian coming to church, I think I should know some of this stuff, but it was pretty apparent that just because I came to church, I didn't know anything because I wasn't there for Jesus. I wasn't there for church. I wasn't there to worship. I was chasing a skirt. I wasn't following Jesus. But you fast forward a little bit farther, and I met who the real Jesus was, the one that broke my heart, the one that never condemned, but the one that had such a compelling, irresistible pull that I ran to an altar and confessed my sins and got baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not because I was made to or guilted to, but it felt like such a great path to be on. I just followed hard. 
and I'm still on that path today. It has winded. It has been uphill and downhill and dark and sometimes treacherous, but I am still pursuing Jesus Christ because I have a story that people need to know just like you do. And your story is not my story, but you have a story to tell. And those of you that don't have my story, you should thank God for the stuff that he saved you from if you were raised in church. You should thank God for the parents that kept you out of nonsense and mess. You don't have to have been delivered out of witchcraft or drugs or this or that. You should be thankful. But you still have a story of the heritage that God has given you. The entire city is asking. They put him on the spot. Notice that even though a small, even a great multitude are are praising his name, can I tell you that mobs and crowds, they can do stuff without even knowing why they're doing it? We saw this just in Portland not that long ago. People that don't even know why they're protesting. People that don't know why they're looting. People that don't know what the cause is, but people get pulled in because it's a crowd. And there's a crowd of people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And yet the city, the bigger part of the people are saying, who is this guy? And look what they said. Look at the answer. Verse 11. It's Jesus. Not some guy. But do you notice that they didn't say he was the Messiah? They didn't say he's the Son of God. They only knew what they saw of him for the moment. But they did know who it was. You don't have to know all the ins and outs this morning, church but you still need to have the answer, it's Jesus. It's Jesus in me that walks this new life. It's Jesus in me that takes care of the weak and the wounded. It's Jesus in me that gives what I give. It's Jesus in me that worships the Father God. It's Jesus in me that forgives those that need forgiveness. It's Jesus in me that looks past the faults of others. And when those questions are asked, please, please don't launch into a diatribe or some weird communication. They just need to know Jesus. That means you've got to know Jesus yourself if you're going to point them (laughs) along the way. So part of our job, as we wrap this up, is our job as Christians is to present Jesus not to argue Jesus, and not to defend Jesus, and definitely not to condemn the world. Jesus himself said he didn't come condemn the world, so why would we? But first of all, the only way you can present Jesus is you've got to follow him. If those guys knew him but never followed him, they would have never been able to go before him because they weren't around. So I encourage you, if you're not at this point yet, the first step is to follow Make up your mind, I'm going to follow Jesus. 
I'm going to follow him in my married life. I'm going to follow him on the job. I'm going to follow him with my finances. I'm going to follow him with my prayers. The way that he did it, I'm going to do it. That way he's the master. But that also means that we go before him into the city. We follow him, and then he sends us out into the city to do the work that we're supposed to do. And he only asked them to do what they could do, just like he's asking you. He didn't say, manifest a horse, (laughs) pray down a donkey. (laughs) He just said, I'm going to tell you where to go, and you're going to see that what I've told you to do, it's going to be right there. It's going to be easy. Just do what I tell you to do. But that means we've got to precede him into the city. This city is not here to be withdrawn back from and stay out of. The city is for us to go into to prepare the way for Jesus. We're about to celebrate the biggest day of our calendar. I know a lot of people focus on Christmas, but if it had stopped at Christmas, we would have nothing to celebrate. We celebrate because he rose again. That should be our biggest day, because if he didn't rise again, we're stuck in our sins. And he lied, but he didn't lie. He kept his word. And the rest of the city needs to know that. One by one, small group, on the job, off the job, wherever we are, wherever you go, whoever you come in contact with, we take Jesus with us. And we announce that he's coming, right? Isn't he coming back? Now, this is all simple, but third step, we go before him in this city, but then our job is to point people to him, not to religion, not to a small group, not even just an invite to church. You share Jesus with them. And I've already told you how. Not a debate, not an argument. (laughs) You share your story of Jesus in you. That's the best and the most powerful story you've got. That gets you out, because I know a lot of people are like, well, what if they start asking me questions? You don't have to answer the questions. You can just say, I don't know about that, but I can tell you what he did in my life. Yeah, but I heard that, I'm sorry that you heard that, but I can tell you what he's done for me. And you keep bringing it back to what Jesus has done, and you keep pointing them to him. Maybe you need to meet him instead of the church. Maybe you need to meet him instead of religion. Maybe you need to meet him instead of worrying about doctrine and the end times and all this other stuff that people get focused on. How about I just introduce you to him? And then fourthly, part of our job is we lay down our stuff. And this is an ongoing process because we collect stuff. (laughs) Every person here, you know that. You got more stuff than you need, and when you finally clean out a room, pretty soon it's full again because you collect more stuff. The same thing happens in the spiritual. Did you know that? He comes and he cleans us out. He does a thorough spring cleaning. And if we don't get filled with the Spirit, we'll start collecting stuff. Stuff that should have been gone, stuff that we should have never brought in, stuff that, and again, that happens. This is the life that we live. This is why we need Jesus constantly, desperately, 
because we collect stuff. But that means we get a chance to lay that stuff down. You've got the free will to say, hey, I don't have to have this stuff anymore. I'm laying it down. And you let him walk over it. Be master over it. You can't handle it or you wouldn't have brought it in in the first place. But way too often we point out the guilty stuff. And God is not here to make us feel guilty. God is here to set us free. God is here to let us focus on Him. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for this freedom that you've given us. Thank you for the time to praise. He's not up there saying, you worthless, horrible individual. He's saying, come see Daddy. <laughs> Every one of our kids, those of you, have, you know they mess up. You know, and they still love you, but you still love them. And when they get teenagers and they tell you how horrible that you are and how mean you are and you're the worst parent on the planet and you still love them and you want to kill them but you don't. And if you live long enough you get the benefit and the glory of being a grandparent. And you realize some of your mistakes when you raise kids. My little granddaughter, she can tear up the whole house if she wants. <laughs> got dings in my wall from her little plastic car. I got marks on my floor from her pushing it around and banging stuff. And I've had installed child locks on the cabinets. The question is, would I rather have none of that but her not in my house? Do you realize that's what Jesus wants for you? You bring your mess, bring your stuff, and just lay it down before him because he'd rather have you in the house than worry about your mess. Your mess isn't going to stop him. Your mess isn't going to change his love for you. The only thing that mess does is stops you. You know why we put the locks on the cabinets? Not because we want to deny her access. We don't want her to get hurt. She doesn't know that glass breaks and will cut her. She doesn't know the difference between bleach and milk yet. You want to know why God says we've got to lay down some of this stuff? Not to deny you access, not to give you a big don't list to keep you safe, to keep you in the house. Last but not least, we have to keep answering this question. Who is this? Who is this? Not only for us. And if you've read the Bible much, you know that Jesus occasionally asked his disciples this. Who do people say that I am? And he gets a little deeper and he said, Great, now who do you say that I am? And I encourage you, if your answer is, Well, my grandpa says, My pastor says, Who do you say that he is? If somebody asked you as you leave this place, Who is Jesus? How would you answer? this morning. The guy pastor talks about, 
or the man that changed my life. Because the first one means nothing. The second one is powerful. Don't let Jesus be something you've been taught or heard about. Who is this? If we can get this right, if we can get this right, the city will begin to ask. As we exalt him, and they see our lives exalting Jesus and we laying our stuff down, they will ask, who is this? And it gives us the access to say, this is Jesus. Not an argument, not an offense, but a simple statement of faith.